Yes, and then music, I have no idea. I, I was thinking it's so sad we couldn't actually find that prostitute song. Apparently there are no recordings of it. A prostitute song? The prostitute song oh, that they the, keep singing the in the book? They, they, they talk about in the beginning of uh, Onward. Yeah, uh, when you first said I was like, what is she talking about? <laughs> Welcome back to Mugging Your Ears. My name is Corey. Helen and April are back with me. Hey, everybody. Uh, yeah, the last thing we did One Piece, but uh, this time we are back on the old new thing. Uh, our old series is going to be Onward Toward Our Noble Deaths. Then our new series is Tokyo Tarareba Girls, which I think is how you say it. Um, but first, uh, I will introduce the first series, Onward to Our Noble Deaths, by Shigeru Mizuki. Uh, he is perhaps best known for Kitaro and a bunch of other like Japanese folklore type of stories. Uh, but before he was a manga artist, he fought in, I believe it was World War II. Yeah, World War II. Yeah, drafted into the Imperial Army in 1943. Uh, he lost his arm and battled malaria in the war. Uh... And this uh, this entire book is just basically a uh, fictionalized version of what he went through in the war uh, as he fought in uh, what is now Papua New Guinea. It was then called Rabaul. Who knows how to say that? Not me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of like this this harrowing tale of. Uh, like what you went through as a member of the Japanese army, and he he goes into uh, a lot of themes about how he did obviously did not agree with the actions of the army or Japan at this time. He was just kind of there because he was drafted. He's trying to survive. Uh, some of the characters go through the same things that he did, like with regards to malaria, obviously because this is like a fictionalized telling of what what he went through, um, and like this. I I read it I've read it twice uh, but I haven't read it recently and I believe it ends on uh, like not the highest of notes uh, I don't think it ends if everybody did yeah <laughs> music did not have a, <laughs> a high opinion of war one might say no. but what do you two think of it it felt like this is the book they make you read in high school to teach you war is bad <laughs> that was my that was my takeaway from it, because it's just so relentlessly, this is all terrible, this is all pointless, war is bad. Which, I mean, was true. This was, like, one of the harshest theaters in World War Two. But there's just this real sense of emptiness, kind of. Like, there's no point to any of this. The, char- the higher-ups are all convinced, you are all obsessed with having this noble death and these suicide charges, all that jazz. Also, I was... I gave up trying to keep any of the characters apart, telling you the characters apart. It is very difficult. Yeah, Mizuki draws these really intricate and detailed backgrounds, and then, like, all the characters basically look the same. (laughs) I just tried to keep an eye on who, um, (laughs) on Maruyama, since I think he was the closest to being Mizuki's stand-in. That was all I tried there. 
they have like different shaped faces. Some of them are more square, and some of them are some of them are more circular, taller, and shorter. But there's a lot of and, guys, so even with those differences, they yeah. start looking pretty similar. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I think uh, Helen pretty much summed up how I felt about it. I think relentless is a pretty good word. Um, it it's definitely a a war has no point. That's that's what this feels like is that it has no point in that the the troops are aware of that and the higher ups are probably aware of that, but choose to deal with that by um, making the tr- the lower troops lives miserable. Um, but it definitely is relentless and just people dying. I, th- I think what surprised me um, about this one is. Uh, not so much the amount of people that die, but just how people die and the troops just kind of move on. At least we don't see a whole, a whole lot of like grief or sort of stopping or people really talking about it. It's just like, oh, so-and-so died and they just go do something else because it seems like it's just such a regular thing or unexpected thing. And it's all pointless anyway. So it just, yeah, this one's pretty, uh, this is pretty relentless here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, uh, I was like trying to look up to see if I, I wrote about it to remind me of uh, more specifics on it. Uh, but now I can't find it. Or it never existed. <laughs> Is this your all's first uh, exposure to uh, Mizuki? Because I have read a little bit of Kitaro, but this is my first exposure to, I guess, a, a more serious work of his. So I didn't know if this was your all's first time. I'm familiar with him, but I don't think mm-hmm. I've read anything. I know um, he's done Kitaro, some of that's mm-hmm. come out of the U.S., and he did Showa as well, which is also that's out right. of the U.S., but I haven't read either of those. Yeah, uh, I have only read this from Mizuki, and I have that first Showa book, uh, but I haven't read that yet. Um, I'm, I'm also interested in, in reading those Kitaro books, but... Uh, I don't, I don't quite know which ones to buy for it. It sounds like the Kitaro, they're kind of anthology, not precisely anthologies to start with, but it sounds like they're very much unconnected short stories, so you can kind of yeah. pick up wherever. Yeah, that's what I assume. I also wasn't sure, and I never bothered to mm-hmm. Well, there's that anime airing right now for Kitaro that's also very anti-war. I've seen screenshots from that. Oh, is it? Yeah. I guess he's all over his his work. No surprise. Um, yeah, he all in some over. ways, I wish it, I I thought for some reason when I went into this, I thought this was an autobiography, and I figured out pretty quickly it wasn't when you know I looked through the little cast of characters on the first couple of pages and I didn't see his name anywhere, and I sort of wish this had been an autobiography. It sounds like he lived a really interesting life, and I kind of wanted to hear more about that, like how he lost his drawing arm and so had to learn to draw with his right hand and things along that line those lines like i can understand why he chose to do a more fictional account you know to sort of separate himself separate him out you know not let the reader get so attached to characters and stuff like that i feel like that does add to the tone but it also just made it a little more boring for me he does say this is 90 percent fact in the back mm-hmm. uh but, you know, 90% fact is not necessarily 90% his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure there are plenty of facts uh, from his life, but, you know, he doesn't want to separate that, protect the identities of whoever he knew that are still alive. 
Uh, Probably not many of those people since. Yeah, yeah I seem to recall I think in, in that interview life, they're talking about there weren't a lot that were still alive. Yeah. Very yeah, few. I think, I think in his real life, even he was one of those people who was mistakenly labeled as dead. And so kept having to go on these suicide missions because the army was like, well, he'll just die eventually anyway. So, yeah, I don't think a lot of people survived that. I think that's what I remember because I went to a panel a couple of years ago and someone who was like the really big Shigeru Mizuki fan, an English fandom, he was doing the panel and talking about it. I think it was before stuff started being translated as well. I just forgot his name, but it's like Zach Davidson maybe was it? Was maybe it? Yeah, he's the translator for this book, and there's a. Mm-hmm. No, he's not. Um, Joyce Lynn Allen did this one. Oh, okay. Never mind that. Yeah, and, I think oh, he does yes. do a lot of translations for other Mizuki books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's also an interview with um, Mizuki in the back of this book, but he just sounds very bored by the questions. Like the interviewer is definitely trying to ask like these really intelligent, deep questions, and Mizuki just sounds really bored and tired, honestly. <laughs> yeah, they're like a sentence long. Like he gives the information they ask him for, but, like, bare minimum. I mean, there some of the questions are, like, three sentences long, and, you know, were you worried about maybe exposing people you knew? He's like, no. I'm like, okay, well, I mean, he answered the question, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I assume maybe he he hopes his, his series will give people more of a glimpse into who he is or how he thinks. Um but but back to this particular volume, I I guess I just can't get away from like how pointless and hopeless it was for everybody and sort of everybody being concerned with like, what are we going to eat or how are we going to talk to our families? Like, I feel like even though we didn't know characters individually, it still felt like we kind of knew or had an idea of what they were going through or what they were thinking of as a group. But I just can't imagine like, I don't know, I guess the amount of trauma people just die and die and die throughout this book and it's just a regular thing and i mean if they're not dead then they're they're beaten or underfed or they're sick you know it just it seems like it's unavoidable whether they die on a suicide mission or die of something else it just seems like it's unavoidable and i guess at some point you sort of think well eventually it's going to come for me too so that's definitely um a large theme throughout this book yeah, and there was something mentioned in there that it sounds like it was the Japanese army policy to not let yourself be taken as a prisoner of war, which I didn't know before this. And it got me thinking, oh boy, no wonder, you know, some of the American military were like, we have to use the atomic bombs, otherwise everyone's going to commit suicide in Japan. Like, if these were some of the soldiers they were fighting against regularly, I can see where they were starting to get that idea. This is not justification for the atomic bomb bombings or anything like that. That was just a thought I had when I was going through this since... I'm used to there being like, you know, you, you take prisoners of war. We took prisoners of war in World War Two, and Americans were taken prisoner of war. I think for me, I didn't really have a lot of the historical context when I read this. I'm not much of a history, but um, but I, I think I agree with with Helen, at least what she said in the beginning, that this would probably be it feels like a book that you would read in high school to teach you that war is not great. And I think that that gets that this particular uh, book gets that across pretty well. Yeah, I'm, I am a history buff, but not a war history buff, so I can't really tell you much about World War II in regards to, like, this is what was going on in the Pacific Theater and all of these different years and different locations. But I can tell you about how um, conquest by England, sort of China, and definitely Japan laid the roots for modern-day um, communism in China. I can tell you that. <laughs> I'm similar to Helen. I like history a lot, but I also don't know much about World War II history. Um, 
I am just like generally interested in reading about what was going on, uh, and like every story of World War One, World War Two, basically every, not basically every war, it's like every, literally every war is just like a harrowing account of the the shit that they had to live through by being a soldier in whatever war it was. So I don't know, maybe that uh, appeals to the more uh, pessimistic, side, pessimistic side of me that, that exists somewhere. Uh, yeah, maybe the future will cover Showa as well, which will have hopefully less of an emphasis on war, but yeah, yeah. maybe that'll be more to our speed. Yeah, but in terms of like the, the, the content of this book, uh, it can basically be summed up pretty, pretty succinctly as, uh, as I did at the beginning. And then, like getting getting into the weeds of it is either uh, you have this, you know, very long research essay of how this is a commentary on on war and how it's bad and stuff, or you you just don't really dig that f- that far deep into it, like we are, uh, and just end up with not too much to say. Um, but yeah, I liked it uh, overall. Like I I can. Or I include this among some of my favorite manga, uh, just because of how real it is, but uh, how would you two sum it up? War is bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically. For most of the people involved. <laughs> I mean, that's a good thing to hang on. Uh, <laughs> like War is bad. Fund the State Department. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. Uh, let's not get into that. Uh, <laughs> let's get into the court. <laughs> uh, let's take a break. And then we'll be back to talk about Tokyo Tara Reba Girls. everybody we are back uh with our second series uh this one today is from kodansha and the creator of princess jellyfish akiko hagishimura and we are going to talk about tokyo tarareba girls um tarareba from my understanding of the first volume basically means if or what if so we're basically dealing with uh three tokyo women that are basically what ifing their love lives. So you have um, the main character uh, Rinko, which is who is a a writer, and she is about 33 years old, and she has her two other, I guess, best girlfriends, uh, Kyori and Koyuki, and they've been friends since high school. So they basically all live in Tokyo, and they sort of get together regularly and have drinks to complain about work and complain about men and et cetera. But they're all sort of in their early to mid thirties and they're unmarried. And so, um, they are concerned about that. I guess this is the best way to put that. Um, the older they get, the more they worry that they won't be able to meet somebody that they can marry and be with long term. So the series uh, basically follows those three women as they try to sort of navigate relationships uh, and sex and their friendships with each other. Um, I am a little bit younger than the main characters in the series, but I'm always interested in series that uh, include characters that are around my age. 
Um, but this one's kind of, I'm a little on the fence about it. I think I like the the characters, and that's what brings me back. Like, I'm interested in reading about their lives. But um, for this particular series, it feels sort of hyper-focused on relationships for me. And I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I guess maybe I can work that out in the podcast episode. But I didn't know uh, what you thought, Corey. And we sort of have the job of trying to convince Helen to also pick up the series. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're going to be convincing Helen anytime soon. Uh, Lots of people on the internet think they can convince me. So I'm actually surprised, April, to hear that this wasn't completely your thing. Because you're like the first person I've heard to say anything even remotely negative about the series. Everyone's going on about how these are such universal themes of young adulthood and, you know, feelings everyone goes through. Well, I've just been looking at this series and I'm going, okay, I know I'm younger than these characters, but I don't see what the problem with being unmarried to 33 is. <laughs> I don't see what's the problem. <laughs> yeah, I can get into that here in a little, a little bit. Yeah, because I have a couple of reasons for that. But yeah, go ahead, Corey. Yeah, uh, I think this is more like just regular adulthood since they are 33. That's just nitpicking at <laughs> oh, okay. for no reason. <laughs> I, I did really like the series overall. Uh, I think it was incredibly funny and uh, real in a much different sense than Onward Toward Our Noble Guests. Um, oh, Corey, have you read the whole thing? I, I've read two volumes. I don't know. Okay, since I think it's out completely digitally right now, but okay. not in print yet. So okay. Yeah, yeah in we print have, it's just up to two. Yeah, we have the, the print volumes. I think Dana was buying the... Uh, the digital volumes, but when it came out in print, she just got that since, you know, print. Yeah, how many are there? There are nine volumes total, so there's quite a bit to go still. Uh, yeah, and I, cer- I certainly liked it. I thought it was very funny. Uh, all of those other things that I said and now immediately forgot. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think it is a, a very good character drama. It has a, a good grasp on what each of these women wants. Uh, like, the main character... It just seems to want like recognition in the work that she does, but she keeps getting passed up by uh, younger women who are willing to have sex with older men, uh, which is uh, you know its own its own kind of messed upness. Uh, one of them just kind of uh, uh, I don't know I don't remember any of their names, but the the darker hair one that works at the restaurant, uh, she uh. seems to just want like. A uh, emotional connection to someone that isn't necessarily sexual, but she does like l- kind of long for uh, being able to to be with someone to be able to share uh, like intimate feelings with them. Uh, and then the last one, who is the uh, nail person, I forget what the name is. The person that does manicures. Nail artist. Don't know. Manicurist. Is that a word? <laughs> I'm pretty sure manicurist is a word, but I've been wrong before about these things. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm surely not the person to ask. Um, But uh, she definitely does want to get married. Like, she is obsessed with getting married. Uh, And, like, the the pull of this series is ostensibly these three girls want to get married before the Olympics because they don't want to be sitting around by themselves watching the Tokyo Olympics. You um, invite friends over. You don't have to have a man to do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think, like, the, the conclusion some of them eventually uh, eventually reach is that, like, they don't necessarily need a husband. What they want is someone that's not each other uh, just to, to be around. 
all the time. Like, because they have this, not really intricate, but they have this system where uh, they they text each other and it's one to four alarm. And one to four, the, the one alarm is they want to drink because there's nothing better to do. The two alarm is they want to complain about work. The three alarm is they want to bagmouth someone. And then the four alarm is when they want... <laughs> Uh, to talk about a man, like they need advice on relationship advice, uh, and like they they see all of their friends getting married, and there's this uh, stigma, or more of a stigma probably in Japanese culture to to get married, have children than than it is in American culture. Uh, so the these women are feeling the pressures while also wanting to you know live their lives, which is I guess the unfair expectation that people put on women. I got to say that messaging system well, I, is way more complex than anything my friends and I have going. We just start ranting, so. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think that's what's interesting, too, is I can't remember which, which volume it's in. Maybe it's the first one where the uh, author has notes in the back about why she started this series. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the author herself has, I think this is, she's been married twice, but she said that the first time was not very good. And then she was a single mother for a while. Now she has all these friends that are around this age that are just like dying to get married. And, oh, I've got to get married. And she's sitting there thinking, you know, I was already hesitant to get married the second time. But, you know, the first time I got married, it sucked. So I didn't really understand why all my friends were clamoring to get married. So this is she said this is who she wrote the series for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I that think, is some epic shade throwing writing an entire <laughs> longest yeah, series no, no. to show your friends why there they're There is literally a panel in the back that is her with like this harrowed expression just trying to draw manga and it's like all I decided was or all I did was decide to make an awful comic about my 30 and 40 something lady friends who were in shock at the announcement the announcement of the Tokyo Olympics <laughs> right right Okay, that almost makes me want to read it then. If this is all just actually yeah, she shade throwing, she definitely wrote it from that ex- that that perspective of being just completely exhausted with her friend. Um, I I can't. I don't know if I can put my finger on why I'm on the fence about it. Maybe it's because I'm at that age, and so I definitely understand the pressure of like being sort of at this age and wondering like, am I going to get married or not, or et cetera, et cetera. But I think it just. Gosh, I wish I could figure out how to put it in order. I guess some of it is like the the focus on men and some of the men in the series are just like assholes. Like I really think the main blonde guy is a complete asshole and that like nobody should listen to his opinion on anything. So I, I found like the women being so worried about what he was doing or how he was treating um, the main woman in the series. I just found it so annoying. Like he was to me, he was clearly an asshole. Like I just, it it just, and I think that was part of the rub in the beginning. And I think also for me, um, it's just that particular experience that they have where they deal with a, a different men and a lot of men isn't an experience that I necessarily have always had and i have a lot of other friends that are lgbt that like we don't necessarily have completely similar experience so some of it was a little foreign to me like he's clearly an asshole just don't worry about what he thinks uh i've definitely had friends or been in situations where you sort of it's hard to break away from people that clearly aren't good for you but it's just it's i guess the series is good in that it captures some of that complexity of balancing your friends and balancing your relationships and but sometimes the women seem so unraveled by what that particular guy says i mean he'll say something and they're like oh my gosh 
we have to get together like maybe we're worth nothing. I'm like, no, maybe he's just an asshole. <laughs> it's just, I just, it just, I, it just grated on my nerves. I think it's probably the main thing. But uh, Corey talked about the alarm system, and it's not like I have an alarm system, but I de- we definitely have group chats where it's like, oh my god, we have to get together now to talk about X, Y, Z. So that's that's relatable, and the the pressure to be to not necessarily to be married. It's almost like a, a pressure to feel like somebody would want to marry you. And I think that's different than the pressure to be married and sort of like you want to feel like somebody wants to marry you. I think those are two slightly different things that people get confused. So I get that, but hmm, I don't know. I don't know. I could go on forever about this one. And I don't, I don't think that we're convincing Helen. <laughs> so I'm curious. Do any of the women also want kids or do they just want to be married? Uh, I don't oh, remember I don't, a specific mention about kids. Like what they're yeah, more I don't think the with. kids come. Yeah, what they're more obsessed with is like the, this idea of marriage. And I think April, you're getting, you're hitting the nail on the head with that. Like they aren't, they don't necessarily want to get married. They uh, want someone to want to marry them. Yeah. Yeah. Like they want the that kind of uh, feeling when you know someone loves you. Or mm-hmm. has a desire for you. Are we talking like a sexy time desire? Or <laughs> are we talking like a romantic desire? Or a platonic I think desire? Because aces have all kinds of words for these things. I don't right. think you guys always have. Yeah, I don't I think, think I think it's a mix of both. For it, I guess it depends on the particular character. I think yeah. for the main character, it is a mix of both. Yeah. Uh, so, like, what... I don't know if I want to necessarily get into the... Getting to the spoilers of it, but like the main character uh, does does seem to have like these complex this complex relationship with sex. Uh, There is a moment where she does have sex after a while, after a long time, and like she isn't really uh, satisfied or or anything by that. Like what she was obsessed with was the idea that while having sex there's this other person that desires her. Like she's not like necessarily enamored with the idea of sex. She's enamored with the idea of being desired. Right. Exactly. Sounds kinda like she should become a mistress then. Like you know, like the um BDSM oh. kind. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I, don't know. I know this is nowhere where the manga is going. But that's just where it was. Right, you know, right. wants to be desired, but not necessarily the sex. You know. <laughs> and uh, now that I think about it, and then Corey has talked about it a little bit, I think that's actually where the author is sort of coming from. Is like she, her friends are clamoring about getting married. But she knows that marriage itself doesn't necessarily solve the problem. I think she probably sees that her friends just that they want to be loved and desired, but that's that's separate from what marriage actually is. So that's probably why she's so exasperated with her friends. She's like, God, I've been married and it it can be good and it can be bad, but it's not the end all be all. And maybe that's why I'm partially frustrated with the series. Not that I've been married, but it's not you know, it doesn't come in and solve all of your problems or your relationship with yourself. That's a totally separate thing from your marriage and your relationship with another person. Right. Mm. Right, I mean, because a big thing that we haven't mentioned yet is that uh, there's kind of these hallucinations where they uh, talk to cutesy liver and... Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Codfish, milk, and liver, because those are, like, their two mm-hmm. favorite dishes at this, uh, at the restaurant that the uh, the dark-haired girl that is not the main character works at. Um <laughs> And, like, they, they, these two food items just, like, 
talk to them and be like, what if, what if these things? And like, so they're obviously saying, saying Tara Reba in Japanese. Uh, so that's like a pun on, on the title. Uh, but they're just giving like all of these what if ideas into them. So <laughs> they need to get over, uh, or not like necessarily get over, but they need to uh, be able to uh, face these kinds of hallucinations and what if questions that they're asking themselves rather than just kind of fall deeper and deeper into this what-if hole and never actually be able to accomplish anything. Right. Yeah, that is a good point to bring that up, the sort of what if, the little what-if characters, because to me they're like the, the common anxiety that everybody feels. Yeah. If I do this, what about this? If I do this, what about this? I mean, that 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 part of the series is, is very relatable, but it's just... It some of the metaphors like made me sad. Like when they're they're they picture like the young girls in the ring and like what if we're just on the outside? I'm like God, you're only 33. I'm like it's not it's not over yet. There's one like where the one of the girls um, is at a sushi place and she imagines like them going around a, a sushi conveyor belt and like never getting picked. I'm like oh my God, it's not <laughs> it's not quite. <laughs> That's terrible, you know. And I, I, I think uh, part of it is like the the self worth the self worth issue. Like, well, if nobody picks us to be with, where is our self worth? And that 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 sucks. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. That uh, that revolving sushi metaphor was like so. Oh my god, that's gosh. a little brutal. Yeah. <laughs> brutal is the, is the word I was looking for. Yeah. Uh, god. <laughs> I didn't expect that. Yeah, that one was the rough one. Sounds like you guys want the characters to chill a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it can, it can be hard to. And like Corey said, maybe there's more pressure. Um, but it can be hard. But I I think there is there is life on the other side of, of not there. There's a there's there, there's I think there can be freedom in both directions. Um, but. You know, uh, the main character also has to struggle with her, with her job and other sort of things going on in her life. So I think for a lot of people, or at least culturally, it can be like, well, if my career is not working out, then at least I have my relationship. And if my relationship, my relationship isn't working, out, at least I have my career. And a lot of people don't really know how to sit in that gray area of just living <laughs> and seeing what happens. So it can be kind, it can be kind of tough. Yeah. Yeah, I think I know some friends like that. Some friends who are sort of aggressively dating right now like they want to date they want to make it long term and so for some reason i keep hearing about these things i don't know why people tell me about these things um <laughs> and, I, and i keep wondering if that might be part of it you know something like you said people who are uncomfortable and being in the gray area but they also don't know how to break out of that gray area so they're just sort of further stuck there yeah yeah i don't think that gray area is an area that's talked about a lot so people don't know what it looks like so or it, there's just no way to really sometimes there's not really a way to conceptualize what that's supposedly supposed to look like so you sort of bounce between one or the other well if one of these two things isn't working then i'm just a failure it's like no you're probably just out there living your life <laughs> so you're probably just normal sorry uh-huh unfortunately <laughs> but yeah i think there is um a lot that we could say about this one um I don't know if, if folks have final thoughts or if, you know, Helen is going to declare that she's going to read this now, but I'll, I'll toss it out to you all. I want to know, um, who do you guys think is going to be married by the end of the series? Any of the girls? Ooh. Uh, I mean, if I had to say, then 
probably the uh, the main character in the second volume. The other two getting to some uh, quite complicated relationships ish. Uh, so those will probably. That's a good question. Yeah, those will probably like hanged or uh, go through some sort of tumultuousness. But I don't know if like any of them <laughs> will necessarily be married at the end. Yeah, since obviously that's the premise of the story, that they're going to get married. But at the same time, you guys are telling me that the author is sort of creating this as a, not a screed against getting married, but a wake up, no. look, look around, really question yourself sort of thing. Yep. I'm also confused why she ended this in like 2017 or 2018, well before the 2020 Olympics. Like, I, I don't know why. I kept expecting this one would go on until the 2020 Olympics in real time. No, yeah, it... it yeah, it looks like it stopped in 2017. Who knows? Um, as far as I, I would think maybe the main character will wind up married or maybe none of them will wind up married. I kind of didn't consider that maybe one of them would be married and the rest wouldn't. Um, I guess that's the thing that, that keeps me coming back to the series is sort of like even though that main guy really works my nerves, <laughs> um, even though there's that, I still kind of, I guess I care about the characters or at least they feel like like friends that you're kind of like no please don't do that but you have to kind of go your own way and figure it out um so that's probably i would definitely read this series until the end i debated getting it digitally but now they're putting them out in print so i'm trying to wait just take up even more space <laughs> i know that's what they always do <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so the life we live um but it sounds like that about wraps us up for the week, and it, we've had uh, plenty to say. Um, can uh, can you all let everybody know where they can find you online, uh, assuming you want to be found online? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. People can find me on Twitter, at WanderingDreamer, and you can find me writing for the OESG and popping in on that podcast. And uh, if you follow my Twitter feed this weekend, I will either be excitedly tweeting about comics, because I will be going to Small Press Expo, or you will see me angrily tweeting about the hurricane keeping me from going to Small Press Expo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> don't know what's going to happen at that point. Yet. Be safe from the hurricane, Helen. Okay, so I basically uh-huh. live in a basement. Yeah, that seems nice. Safe. <laughs> it's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I move everything away from the HVAC system just in case it floods again. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at K, where I will be uh, depressingly tweeting about the Chicago Bears. Um, <laughs> and I also write on Fangin' Post sometimes. Uh, do another podcast called the Taiku Podcast, where you can find all of our episodes. Also, taikupodcast.com. It's supposedly about sports um, anime, but not always. <laughs> Ellen's always got to throw that disclaimer in there. It tickles me. Um, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Mangio Ring, which is basically just the two main characters from Blade of the Immortal with an O in the middle, in case mm-hmm. anybody didn't know that. Um, but you can find me on Twitter. But it sounds like uh, that wraps us up. So we will be back um, in approximately two weeks and some change with um, another old series and another new one. So we will see you then.
Diplomacy is so important, guys. Everybody vote in your elections. They're important this year. 